I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golliver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of our British Basketball League podcast. Uh, this is a special episode featuring Rob Paternostro of the Leicester Riders. He is, of course, their head coach. Josh Coyne caught up with him um, at the beginning of the week. And unfortunately, due to some problems with his MacBook, has, has lost the the higher quality audio. So we've managed to do what we can with it. Um, and there will be video available on YouTube. But yeah, we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, so coach, I want to start off um, on this by stating that we've been doing this on and off uh, for a while now. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on. And um, I think that I've grown more capable in doing this. But if my performance <laughs> slips, you have full permission to get on me. Okay. That's what I like about you. You're very coachable. Um, no, you've been great from the start. And the best thing about it is, uh, you know, just talking hoops. I know you're passionate about basketball and uh, I am as well. And I'm always up for uh, talking about hoops uh, from, from anywhere at any time. Okay. So very coachable is now going on my Twitter bio and my LinkedIn profile <laughs> and basically everything I have online. Um, All right. So since back then, you know, around kind of 2010-ish, I guess, is when we really started to talk, uh, you've seen quite the change in the club, in Leicester Riders. Um, uh, an arena was built, uh, a number of trophies uh, were won, and you've, you've coached so many great players and teams. Um, has it been everything you expected since you took the job? I mean, I, you know, again, it's hard to, to to predict the future, but I think when I sat down to take the job, what was so appealing to me was um, the fan support that was there. You know, they had a lot of losing seasons. Um, you know, they didn't really have the infrastructure, but the support in, of the fans and even of the of the city of Leicester was there. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, we had a vision um, you know, to get our own place. Kevin Routledge, I know that was something that he had worked on for years and you know, he finally broke through Russell Levinston. We are talking about, you know, building this program and uh, yeah, it took a while, but that was the vision was to, to, to get to where we are now. And, um, you know, as I sit here in the office at the Morningside arena, you know, walk down the hall, look over the court. Uh, every time I do that, it, it feels special, uh, you know, cause it was a journey to, to get to where we had to go. Yeah, so for anyone who maybe is a new fan or, you know, has only been a fan since the Morningside Arena has been open, um, how would you describe your experiences in the, um, uh, at the John Sanford Sports Centre and how would you describe the place itself? Yeah, I mean, when the seating isn't pulled out, you would have no idea that, you know, you could fit a thousand people in there for a basketball game. It's and it was an older building and just didn't look like it had it had that capability. But when they pull all the seats out and everything, it, it turned into a really uh, great atmosphere. I think that, um, uh, you know, it was some of the most memorable games I've had were in that building because of how loud it was and how uh, on top of you the fans are. But it was, uh, you know, something that I think helped us get going in a sense that when I took the job, I knew that it wasn't the nicest looking building. It wasn't a building that the other teams wanted to come to. And I thought that we could take advantage of that. And I think that early on uh, to get to the momentum, you know, get our momentum going to where we get to the place we are now, I think all those real grind out tough winning games in there 
Uh, it had a lot to do with that building. You know, I can remember a lot of the opposing teams walking through the door and just looking at their reaction. If it was their first time in there in the pregame, you knew that well, we got a little edge on them today. Uh, they don't want to be here. So uh, it, it wasn't a, a place that we wanted to end the journey at. But to start the journey, I think it really shaped uh, our program and how we wanted to play and how tough we wanted to be at home. And um, it definitely got us going and put a lot of wins in the column early. It was definitely intimate and you could definitely feel that the fans were kind of right on top of the court. So definitely would have played a part. I, th- I think the, the key word would be intimate for anyone who doesn't know, uh, but it was somewhat of a magic trick. And I think that that's something that's really commendable about the Leicester Riders as an organization is that they've found a way to continuously innovate and f- find ways around things to, in order to create a kind of more professional product. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And I think that's down to obviously the, the leadership we have with Kevin Rowledge and Russell and everyone, but it's down to the, the, the volunteers. I think our volunteers, they were ready to put on an event wherever we had it. You know, if we had to have it at the John Sanford Center, if we had to move to Loughborough, they were ready to put that event on. And, um, you know, there have been times like a lot of clubs uh, where you are struggling and our fans uh, and volunteers have really come to the rescue and, and done so many great things. So, uh, when you talk about intimate, you could kind of talk about that feeling in our club as well, because if, you, if you're a fan or a season ticket holder or if you uh, volunteer, I think it was a real connection, um, especially in the early days that, uh, that kept us going, too. So, yeah, there's pictures around this shiny arena here and you see us at finals and you see all the trophies and everything. And in the background, you could see the hardcore fans in the pictures and it's easy to pick out and you say, Oh yes, yes. They really rolled up their sleeves and did whatever they had to do uh, to put on a, a basketball night here in Leicester or Loughborough or whatever it was. And I, you know, certainly none of us would be sitting in this position now if they didn't uh, do all that hard work. Fantastic memories, Rob. Um, so Obviously, there can't be a bigger change than an international pandemic. It's obviously quite a broad subject and a broad question. But how have the last uh, five to six months been in terms of kind of the uncertainty surrounding the club and the league? I think early on, no one really knew what was happening. You know, it just came out of nowhere and it's like, okay, I don't think anybody thought we'd still be in this position we are in now uh, when it happened in March. I, I think we played a game in here in March. And I think when we left, we thought, you know, maybe we shut down for a little bit, but um, no one really anticipated this. Uh, I think what it has done for all the basketball people that I talk to, players, coaches, fans, um, you know, they missed the game. They, they uh, appreciate what they've had. You know, as a coach, I've I, I missed it so much. I'm so appreciative of being back out on the floor now, similar with players and fans. And I think that, um, you know, we, we're all hoping that um, we can get back to, to, to sit watching games from the crowd and, and to seeing our, you know, teams uh, compete and being part of that again. It's still uncertain, right? We we we're still uncertain on any on, on everything. We really don't know anything just yet. Um, but once we turn to the training sessions with our group, it's my job and the players' job to be ready to go uh, when when we're uh, called on to play. We're hoping that that's sooner rather than later. Uh, one way in which it's affected basketball as a whole, from the kind of top to the bottom, from if you if you if you take the NBA draft for an for an example, um, all the way kind of uh, 
you know, down to maybe even amateur basketball is that recruitment has has taken quite, had to pivot in all sorts of directions. I know that you play a part um, in the recruitment process uh, with the riders. Um, how much um, of a challenge has that been in terms of uh, attracting players, talking to players, and then bringing players in um, during the international pandemic? Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, once we got going, it was business as usual. I didn't see anything different coming from, you know, the agents uh, or, you know, the way the players were being uh, marketed. Um, What I did see was uh, more players available uh, with the uncertainty of certain leagues and with the uncertainty of maybe, you know, they made a certain amount here. They don't know if that's going to be there anymore. So I, I did feel like in a lot of ways, there were more options um, out there for, for our league and for us. Uh, and I think team, players were maybe uh, even more ready and willing to, to go and to maybe get away from where they were and, and, and find a job. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty much business as usual, but maybe more options out there. I mean, we don't spend a lot of time face-to-face recruiting anyways, so it was pretty similar for us is, you know, we didn't we identify players, speak to them on the phone and, and then go from there. And since kind of things have at least semi worked their way towards normality, I know that everything's still open to changing. Um, but for an example, you're practicing today. Um, how good has it felt to finally be back on the court? Yeah, awesome. Uh, man, it's, uh, it was weird because, you know, in a, I was a little bit first couple of days nervous about it because it's been so long. Right. So it was, you know, but now as we've got going a couple of weeks, it, it, it feels similar other than, you know, the masks and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, just talking basketball and, and, and talking to the players and trying to figure out ways that we could be better. Uh, I miss that. I miss the, the, the camaraderie of the group. And I think, um, what has always been the most appetizing, a part of this job for me is the day in and day out relationships that you develop basketball relationships with guys um, talking hoops, you know, whether it's talking about your team, talking about a game you watched on TV. Uh, that's the part of it. That's, that's awesome. And um, I feel lucky that I've been doing this most of my life. So the season's set for October. How, how happy are you uh, with that group you are working with on a day to day basis at the moment? Yeah, good. I mean, I have to say for two weeks, we've been very happy with what um, they've given us. Uh, I think everybody was a little out of rhythm, Um, like myself included, players playing. Maybe the conditioning took a little longer. So I do think the early season, you know, you have to maybe be a little bit patient because, uh, you know, everybody's trying to get back into the swing of things, but definitely happy uh, with the group that we have in the room. We feel like we have uh, different uh, ways to play with the group and we're trying to work that out right now. We have good size, uh, good athleticism and um, yeah, guys are enjoying being together. That was good. So some of the guys that you've brought in, um, obviously you're looking at kind of um, uh, Zach Jackson. He's got experience in the kind of tough Ukrainian league and he's a high performer over in Omaha. Uh, what do you feel that he can bring to the table? I think he's uh, uh, so far in the two weeks and obviously a lot of video from, from college and from Ukraine. I think he's a 
good, good basketball player. I think he hangs his hat on scoring, no question. Um, you know, his ability to shoot from distance, to drive, to post up, to run the floor. He can score in many different ways, get to the free throw line. Uh, but what we've noticed in the two weeks here is he's a good basketball player. He does his footwork's good. His defensive vacuum is good. He rebounds. So, yeah, we've, uh, we knew we had a good player coming in, and we knew we had a guy that was really talented. But, you know, the little things that you get to see on a day-in, day-out basis, we're, we're excited about those as well. So I think, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for him. You're talking about six, six and a half, six, seven, a uh, guy who can play the guard position. Uh, yeah, he's he's got a real bright future in the game. And what about uh, Gino Crandall? Uh, have I said that name right? Sorry, from Gonzaga. Yeah. Well, we lost Jonah Matthews. Uh, he was here, and then when the draft day came out, we got a couple phone calls, and he thought that it was in his best interest to go. So that was a blow to us. But uh, when we came across Gino's name, I saw he went to De La Salle High School in Minnesota, which is a powerhouse in Minneapolis. And one of my former players, uh, Cameron Rundles, uh, went to school there. So I phoned Cam Cameron up and. Yeah, I think Cameron's initial reaction to our opportunity to get Gino told a lot. Uh, he was, uh, yeah, uh, he used some colorful words, uh, but uh, the point was made by him. So we looked into him deep, and as we looked, we thought that, yeah, we had a kid here that is really talented. Uh, he went to Gonzaga's last year, and I thought that was brilliant. After being a guy that scored 17 a game, was the man at North Dakota, took him to the tournament for the first time. He goes into a program like Gonzaga, and plays 19 minutes right away, ran the team. Uh, yeah, his ability to be able to fit in like that, I, I was really intrigued by. And ever since he's been here, we've been very uh, excited with what he can do with the ball. Um, you know, he threw uh, a few around the back passes in practice the other day that um, as a, someone who used to love to throw around the back passes, <laughs> wow, they were, um, and, that, and Cameron knew that there'd be something that would fire me up. And I, I, I love this, his feel for the game. It's early, but um, he's... Yeah, he's a, he's a super talented player. Do you feel as though it would have been against his character for Cameron Rundles not to use kind of animated language on the court? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we speak, you know, the good thing with Cam and I is even though it was a coach-player uh, relationship, we, we, <laughs> we do speak the same, uh, same language sometimes. Um, and, um, yeah, and it's uh, when you speak that kind of language, that basketball language, um, yeah, when, when we discussed Gino, uh, we, 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 it was great to hear because I, he knows what I look for in a player and what I like. And, and that's the nice part about now you get to this point where 13 years in, uh, you know, you're using these contacts from all over, people that know you very well. You know, I'm starting to now talk to players who I coached who have coached players that are playing here. So it is, uh, you know, an endless cycle of contacts that you try to use. And Cameron was a good one to use with Gino. And, but then, you know, you have to do your research after that. And, um, and, and we did, and, and, and we, we love what we saw. Well, it's great to hear that uh, Cameron is still having an impact on the team uh, these years later. So you were also able to hold on to key components of the team and also bring in some familiar faces. How, mass how massive was that for you and the team? It was good, yeah. I think that um, Jamel coming back was important for us. Um, you know, I don't think any, if you've, I don't think anybody that's watched the league, um, you know, uh, wouldn't understand his value to a team. Uh, you know, at six seven, he can guard multiple positions, runs the floor, rings the bell every game, every practice. You know, durable, um, confidence late in games. 
uh, yeah, uh, a guy you want sitting in the locker room, uh, you know, before a big game. And Connor's the same way. Connor Washington coming back. You know, these are two guys that we've won a lot together here. I've seen them in really uncomfortable situations. I've seen them, um, you know, play, you know, uh, hurt. I've seen everything. And these guys are our winners and our tough guys that um, you want on your team. So those two guys were important. Raheem coming back. We always uh, thought that uh, Raheem would play here again. Uh, we loved having him around, even when he was playing for other teams after the game. It's like having, you know, family around. He was part of the team. And, and I thought, uh, you know, his, his game continues to develop. So so I think those three guys were guys that had played for us before that, um, you know, that's nice to have them back in the room. So Andy Thompson, um, BBL legend, um, retired. You've already discussed um, the impact that he had on the team and what you would miss um, next year, but can you kind of put that into words for me now? Well, Andy was uh, a competitor. Uh, I think that, you know, you see his numbers. He's played on great teams. Uh, and the reason why those teams were great was because of the part that he played in those teams, all of them. Um, his competitiveness is, is infectious, whether it's a drill. You know, we, we chart a lot of our drills and we have a competitive cauldron board where you get wins and nobody wanted to win more than Andy. Uh, he, he knew where everybody was. He would make sure he'd hit more free throws than you in the free throw drill. So his competitiveness on top of being six, nine and gifted in many ways, uh, and intelligence was, uh, you know, hard to beat as a British big guy. And, you know, for the most part in his career, we used him off the bench. Uh, you know, it was a similar role we used drew with at the end of his career. And I thought that, uh, having him on the bench, in big moments was uh, incredible. And I think that all Riders fans have seen him make the key plays in the fourth quarter. So, you know, losing a guy like that uh, will make an impact. And then day in and day out basis, again, you know, when you're with a guy like that for a long time, we miss him. Uh, it's not the same without him, um, you know, because he's such a well-liked person around the team. And I bet in the initial instance, it was quite a relief to have him on board when he did sign in Leicester because of how much of a nightmare he could be for Newcastle all those years. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, when you look at the signings that were made, I know Drew's was Drew's probably the most important signing we ever made. You know, I've said that on record before, having Drew Sullivan walk in the room and, you know, really helped us take the next step. But, uh, you know, getting Andy when he still had a lot of lot in the tank uh, from Newcastle at that point was a huge, huge signing. And I think that was uh, one we had, you know, thought about. Um, so, you know, it, even before it happened, we had thought about, you know, bringing him on board because we really loved what, what he had and thought he would be um, perfect for what the team needed. And, you know, you look at the trophy hall that he had since he'd been here and, and that one certainly certainly worked well. Speaking of Newcastle and the wider BBL, um, we're seeing a lot of kind of, um, well, you know, noteworthy recruitment across the league. Uh, we're seeing the London Lions uh, competing in Europe, which is something the riders kind of endeavoured with uh, a, a few years ago. Um, how excited are you about the level of competition within the league uh, in the forthcoming year? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they, they changed to, to four American players now. Um, and I think that has added, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more um, uh, depth to some of the teams. Um, and you're still going to be really major impact British players. Uh, but adding that one more import, 
and allows teams to do different things. So it's hard to tell on paper. You like what you see, uh, certainly, and you see these guys and you say, he's talented, he's talented. But um, until we can really watch the, the teams play, uh, it's hard to get a read on where we will be at. But I think that um, you look at the, the organizations around the league, they're all um, you know making strides and um, you know putting themselves in position to win games. I think you know teams that had struggled in the past, maybe um, you know, that extra import um, you know could really help. So I think uh, you know you could see a, a, a league a little bit more balanced uh, because of that extra import. I don't. I just want to take a sidestep here, then away from um, the riders and the BBL, specifically in terms of a modern day. Uh, conversation. I just want to talk about the some of the players that you've coached. So let's just play a quick game. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Barring any current players on the roster, uh, would you be able to give me a starting five uh, of the players that you've coached during your time in Leicester? Yeah, I can do it. It's hard. Um, uh, I had to do it earlier this summer, uh, so I'll do it again. Um, I'm going to go with, um, can I have two guys off the bench as well? Yes, absolutely. Just to give you that flexibility. Okay. I'm going to go with um, Zaire Taylor at the one spot because um, three trophies in the year he was here. And I thought that if you're going to put together an all-star team of players, his selflessness uh, works. Um, he was ready to take the big shot whenever he had to. He was ready to make the big play whenever he had to. But that season, uh, he really took a backseat as far as like looking for numbers. And it was interesting. The next season at Worcester, he averaged 20 plus a game. He showed everybody, hey, if I want to, I can. But with us, I loved his ability to let the game come to him. And defensively was awesome at 6'4", long arms. Just a great player. Great, great player. I don't think people realize sometimes how great of a player he was. Um, I'll go Bernardini at the two. The longevity here from him, um, the competitiveness, the nutty competitiveness from him, which we loved on a daily basis. Uh, he just was ready to fight every day, um, which, yeah, I mean, he was well-liked person. But, um, you know, on the court, his ability to, you know, rise to the challenge, make big plays, big two guard as well. Uh, I'll put uh, Sullivan at the three. He always thought of himself as a three. Uh, he always said to me, I'm a three. I'll play the four if you want. I'm a three. You know, I, and he believed in his ball skills enough there. And I think, yeah, we utilized him there a lot. And I think he was super um, effective from there. His matchup problems for the other threes. And he, like I said, I thought he was the most important signing we ever had with the Riders. Um, I'm going to go with Hampton at the four. I think that Hampton's unique ability to beat you off the dribble back you down, make the three, pass, confidence, was an awesome player for us here. Uh, a good person, uh, solid player. And then at the five, I'm going to go with Timmy Williams. And he was only here for half of the year, but we did win the playoff final with him. He was the MVP. And I absolutely loved working with him. I thought he was super smart, super tough, and just as good a player as you could want in that post position in our league he just he just fit it all and he was a, a big game player and he's going to be on that bench i want to bring him in when we need to we need a big play and um and then i'm going to go with cam rundles as well um cam was uh, you know he loses out maybe a little to zaire because of the, the trophies and all but cam's was just an awesome player to have on your team and bringing him in the game would really change the game and yeah so that's a team i'm going to the park with uh, i'm ready to go to the park with that team and we're ready to play 
What strikes me there from the team you've selected, which, by the way, is a tremendous team, is the versatility across the team. Is that something that you value kind of uh, over most things as a coach? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think you know, I think uh, especially early on, I think that was the difference from our teams and a lot of the teams was the versatility that we had. And, you know, growing up, watching the Connecticut Huskies uh, when I was a kid, that was, you know, they Calhoun came in to coach UConn. He really had versatile athletic players, defense, pressure. Um, you know, I think our high school was doing some of that stuff too. So I kind of, it was the time and, and I really always love those type of teams. And yeah, I definitely want teams that are versatile and um, can, can, you know, when, when the game's going a certain way, we can, pivot a little bit and, and, and go to a different style. I don't want, um, you know, just a team that has to play one particular style. I want to be have versatile guys that can do different things. So really quick, I just want to talk about a little bit of NBA stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I, I know that you follow the league closely. Firstly, let me mention that long before it happened, around 2017, I would say, uh, you told me that LeBron James was going to end his career as a Laker. Um, and at that point, um, I kind of poo-pooed it. So I just want to say kudos <laughs> on your foresight there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I did tell, I did tell anyone that would listen uh, around that time that that was going to happen. Um, I had a little inside info, but um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I knew that was happening. And and as a longtime Laker fan, boy, I'm happy it did because it certainly uh, changed the franchise and put them back where they belong. Yeah, so you mentioned it there, long-term Laker fan, big Magic Johnson fan, and you told yeah. me before that as an Italian kid, it was kind of your duty to back the Lakers during the, that period <laughs> when you were a teenager. Yeah, um, yeah. the Celtics, the Irish friends of mine were Celtic fans. So, yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was fun back then. Yeah, no doubt. So how do you feel about their chances? Listen, I love their chances. Uh, I think that, you know, we're recording this. Uh, last night's game was, uh, you know, AD hits the three. Uh, but Lakers shouldn't have been in that position. They should have killed that game off with the lead. Jokic, unbelievable player, <laughs> unique player. But I love the Lakers' ability to play big as well. And I think that game one for me, I came in talking to the guys, and I felt great about it because they use size, strength, muscle. It reminded me of the 90s. It reminded me of basketball, um, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago where physicality was really important again. And I think the playoffs will show you that. Um, yep, regular season maybe spread you out, three, three, three. I think when it gets down to it and everybody's tired, games slow down, I think that physicality and that length and size is so important. And I think the Lakers showed that in game one. And, um, you know, those these two wins are there to put them in a really good position. But with Denver, they're the, they're the team everybody knows uh, won't go away. Uh, they're very hard to guard, well coached and everything. I mean, I'm looking at a lot of his stuff. This guy's a heck of a coach, Michael Malone. Um, so, yeah, it's a great uh, uh, series, I believe. And um, But, yeah, I do feel like the Lakers, uh, you know, Rondo coming back was huge too. I think a lot of people criticize his lack of three-point shooting, missed one from the corner at a big spot last night. But his ability to handle the ball and run the team makes everybody feel better. Don't look at the numbers sometimes. Not all about numbers. You feel better when you have that veteran guy that you go, okay, let Rondo, let Rondo do it for a bit. Let Rondo do it for a bit. They feel better about themselves. And I think that, um, yeah, I think that without him, I don't think that they, uh, you know, really had a great chance to win at all. So hopefully they, um, you know, can, what do you think, six more, six more to win it. 
Mm-hmm. So, so he's a coach on the floor, essentially, Rondo. I assume that that's something that you kind of can see as a coach and definitely kind of um, value um, from your point of view. Yeah, confidence as well. Uh, yeah, coach, it's it's all well and good for the guy to be able, but he's got confidence that he's just as good as the guy guarding. He feels mm-hmm. like that. You've seen him go by people. And, you know, having that rest that he had at this stage of the season isn't the worst thing either. So, yeah. Uh, but, again, they do feel comfortable. You can see the other players are comfortable playing with them. And I think that, um, you know, whatever the numbers say, I know. But you, when you have that comfort, that blanket, a security blanket of a guy like that, when LeBron doesn't have the ball, I think it made a whole, a whole heck of a lot of difference for that team. So if they do make it through to the finals in the bubble, who's joining them from the East, in your opinion? It's tough. I feel good about it if I was the Celtics right now. You know, you start looking back on the three games and you go, big league game one, big league game two, one game three. So now you're in there going, we got these guys. We've outplayed them. Don't, you know, don't get too hung up. It's 2-1, whatever. So, uh, you know, Miami's well coached and tough. So, uh, you know, they'll be making their adjustments. Uh, but um, I do think the Celtics are in a really good position because if you really look in deep in that series, uh, you know, they've done a lot of good things. And I think they'll continue to do so. With Hayward coming back, anybody that's saying that, that they were better without him is wrong. Um, another guy that's a comfortable player to have out there with his ability to make plays. So, yeah, it should be great. I think that um, – yeah, it's just too bad they're on. The games are on so late. It's uh, <laughs> over here. It is a challenge. You try to wake up in the morning and get as much of it as you can without knowing the score. So, uh, but um, but yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this bubble play. Uh, I think it's been um, it's been good quality basketball, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, well, you you know what? I appreciate your optimism as a Celtics fan, and I look forward <laughs> to seeing how the series unfolds. Um, the last kind of um, NBA related thing is obviously. Um, this, you know, Nick Nurse was um, named Coach of the Year. Uh, you have plenty of experience uh, with Nick in the BBL, and a long-term rival of yours and peer of yours, uh, Fab Flanoy, has joined his staff uh, in recent years. Um, how does it feel to see these guys shine the way they are at the moment at that highest level? Great, yeah. Uh, Chris Finch is associate head coach as well. I mean, you're talking about when I was playing in the league. Um, Chris Finch was a coach. Uh, Nick Nurse um, was a coach. Uh, we also have Bob Donawald, who spent some time in the NBA as well, was a coach. Both were national. He was a national team coach of China. So, you know, coming through the BBL at the time I came through in the early 2000 to early 2000s, there was a lot of talent, coaching talent here in this league. Um, and yeah, it's not really a surprise to me. You know, when you sit down and talk basketball with, with Finch and nurse, you always knew that they were destined for great things. Uh, they worked hard to get where they are though. They had nothing given to them. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome to see because we all know what competitors they were over here too. You know, like Finch was such a competitor on the sidelines, you know, he was into each game. So was Nick. Uh, these guys were true basketball guys, you know, that, that, that earned everything. And then Fab, yeah, I thought it was um, great to see him go to Toronto. You know, I think that um, uh, Fab is somebody that if he's working with you, and I know he's doing development work with a lot of their players and stuff, if he's the guy working with you, uh, yeah, you have a lot of respect for him. Uh, you just have to type his name into Google and see what he's accomplished. But his the way he carries himself and how he 
uh, drives himself to be the best, uh, that's uh, super contagious. And I'm sure any organization would want that. And, and it's not so much just basketball either. Like, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that you'd want on your team, on your side and whatever you were doing. So yeah, I've messaged with him a few times to check in and see how he's doing. It isn't the same without him. I'll say that, uh, you know, playing against Newcastle. And now that Dave Forrest is retired as well, um, you know, we had so many battles with, with, with them uh, that, um, yeah, it's a little bit different now. And when they walk in and he's not there, well, yeah, it's awesome to see that guys coached in this league can make an impact at the highest level. It certainly is uh, it's great for all of us that have worked in this league to see. So the way you spoke about those guys, a lot of people have kind of attributed that savant-like uh, knowledge of the game and passion for the game to yourself. Is it something that you'd be open to uh, somewhere down the line? Well, of course, yeah, I think so. I think it's timing. I think it's the right situation. Um, but yeah, if you know, I, I don't think there's too many people in our position that if uh, an NBA team called or you know messaged, <laughs> that you wouldn't uh, message back. Of course, and, mm -hmm. and so yeah, it's not uh, you know something that I'm actively pursuing by any means. I've never really pursued anything else since I've been here. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, you, you never say never. And, you know, watching what those guys have done uh, definitely can give you confidence that, um, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be maybe the NBA, but you, you can definitely um, make an impact in, in somewhere else in the game. But for me, uh, it's been a, a great place to work here. I love it. Uh, I live 10 minutes from the arena. I'm here all the time. Uh, it's, you know, my family loves it. So uh, there's been no active pursuit of anything. But, um, but yeah, it'd be hard to say no if you got a phone call or to listen to something like that. So whether it is going somewhere in the future or whether you continue to uh, fill the trophy cabinets in Leicester, uh, I, I'll be looking out for you and uh, definitely uh, willing you on to succeed. I know that you do have practice today, Rob, uh, and I don't want to be the reason that you're late uh, getting downstairs. So, Coach, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, it's always awesome, Josh, to talk hoops with you. Keep up the good work, and um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm willing to talk hoops anytime you want. Right. Thanks, man.